Good morning, everyone. One of the questions that's been sort of looming ever since uh, we started this podcast was uh, the the role of Bolg, particularly since we heard that Azog was going to be alive and well and kicking, or, or undead and semi-well and kicking, whatever his state may be. Uh, and when the first film came out and Bolg was just basically gone, um, speculation didn't die down, in fact, became even more rampant because there had been so much promotional material surrounding him when uh, when it first came out. There were action figures, posters, those sorts of things. So there seems to be a wide open question, where the heck is Bolg and what is he doing? And this, of course, connects to the larger story of Dol Guldur, the necromancer, and just sort of who's managing and organizing and overseeing all of the various evil taking place in Middle-earth. So that will be the focus of today's discussion, um, which seems particularly timely given the events yesterday, um, talking about evil and things like that. So without further ado, let's get started. I'm your co-host, Dave Kale, and with me as always are my co-hosts, Trish Lambert and the Tolkien professor, Professor Corey Olson. Good morning. Okay, so we are uh, turning to Dol Guldur. We've gotten up through Lake Town as of the last episode, uh, but rather than carrying on towards the Lonely Mountain, we want to go back and look at uh, really one of the things which, uh, uh, within the framework of what the films are doing, really separates by necessity the film stories from the book story, and that is meanwhile, what is happening elsewhere? That is a question which is almost never asked in the published Hobbit um, uh, because there's really no answer to it uh, in the published Hobbit when Tolkien wrote the published Hobbit. Um, but uh, which is a question which is really demanded when uh, the Hobbit has been placed, as Tolkien later placed it, within the historical context of the history of Middle-earth as it had developed and unfolded over the course of the, Lord of the writing of the Lord of the Rings. So, what is going on, meanwhile, in the south of Mirkwood? Um, we... What Tolkien says about the necromancer, and I want to start off with the necromancer in general and sort of the big picture, and then we'll get to Azog and Bolg in particular uh, afterwards. But what is, so what is sort of going on in particular? Tolkien was really kind of vague about what Sauron was doing at this time. Um, you know, when you look at things like the Tale of Years and <clears throat> stuff like that, where Tolkien talks about some of these things later on and sort of fills in these gaps, we hear that he is basically preparing uh, to return to Mordor, you know, that he is building up his strength and, and preparing his return. I don't know what that looks like. I don't know what that actually means. Uh, Tolkien, of course, never depicts any of this. He just tells us that it happened. Um, Peter Jackson actually has to sort of show us what the preparation looks like, you know, and uh, it's, I don't know how, uh, you know, as an evil overlord, you, uh, you know, prepare for a major move like that. I mean, if, if it's, I mean, I, I sort of doubt it's primarily, you know, packing and uh, advanced real estate scouts and stuff like that. that I he hope he's keeping on. all of his receipts. Well, you'd hope so, exactly. Um, <laughs> all the subcontractors the, you have to interview and, you know. Right. I mean, yeah, presumably, exactly just that. I mean, presumably he's got some people starting on the on building up from the foundations of Barad-dûr. Of course, we remember in the Fellowship of the Ring film, we saw Barad-dûr under construction. You know, it was still being completed. Uh, then, but since uh, you know, no time really elapses uh, uh, in uh, uh, very dependably uh, during 
Peter Jackson films. Um, you know, who knows exactly what we'll see if we'll see that work started or or what. Um, well, I think anyway. Kate Neville. Kate Neville has a really good one. This should be another cartoon. She says, you know, I said, do you suppose we'll see Sauron wandering around the banks of the Anduin with a metal detector? <laughs> right. Well, that's actually a really good question because it's one of the things that is mentioned that he's cert- that he's beginning to search for the ring because he has found out what happened to Isildur. Um and uh so yeah, we know that both Sauron and Saruman are searching for the ring. And if you remember, that is why Saruman who has already gone bad um, in you know, in the book version of all this stuff, Saruman has already is already searching for the Ring of Power on his own, and is um, you know has already has already become a traitor in his heart against the White Council, though he's not yet working for Sauron, and he is searching for the Ring for himself. Discovers, sees evidence that Sauron is also looking for the Ring uh, around the Great River, and that's why he agrees. You know, the first time they say, "Oh, let's move against Sauron and and uh, and kick him out of Mirkwood," Gandalf first suggests this, and Saruman argues no and convinces the White Council not to act uh, because he doesn't want them there and he wants to be able to keep looking unmolested. Um, but when he finds that Sauron is also looking for the ring, that's when he turns around and says, "Okay, I agree. Let's go kick the necromancer out of Mirkwood," um, and because he wants to try to prevent Sauron from finding the ring. Uh, so, so yes, that's, that's a really important question. Um, it, theoretically, that's what Sauron should be doing a lot right now, is looking for the ring, right? Um, so are we going to get that? Are we going to get, you know, are we going to get, so, so here are sort of the, the larger, so I, I, I want to sort of kind of lay out the larger questions here, and then we can sort of talk about them. Uh, one by one. First, are we going to see the necromancer looking for the ring? Two, are we going to see him building up armies? Is Dol Guldur going to actually be a military base in any sense? Are we going to get armies of orcs or spiders or something? Um, is he going to be actually building up power in that in a in a in a military sense? Um, are we get, you know is there are, are there complexes I mean the one thing which is firmly associated with Dol Guldur from the very beginning even from from the Hobbit itself is the dungeons I mean that's where Thorin's dad was so um, you know are we going to see the dungeons there must be one would think some kind of massive underground complex at Dol Guldur since it's just a ruin in the film that's one of the things that really surprised me about film one was that Dol Guldur was not just sort of a blasted ruin. The idea that it would be a blasted ruin didn't seem to me that strange, but the fact that it's so small and so empty, I mean, it looks like there's nothing there. So if there is something there, if there is, in fact, uh, you know, dungeons and places for armies, and, you know, if this is not just a place where Sauron himself is lingering, but is in some sense like an administrative center, it's got to be subterranean, and if so, what does that look like? So, um, so, so, what's going on with him there? Is he going to be? Are we going to see any other sort of larger, kind of political machinations on Sauron's part? Um, that is, of course, one of the central features of the Quest of Erebor stuff um, and the Appendix A stuff. When Gandalf is commenting on uh, on the quest for Erebor, is the possible you know, collusion between Sauron and Smaug, 
Will we see that set up? Will we have gotten actual communication uh, between Smaug and Sauron? Will he have made overtures in that direction? Is Will the film present to us Smaug as a lieutenant of the Necromancer? Is that going to turn out to be true? Is Smaug going to be a free agent or not a free agent? Is he going to be an ally of Sauron, a servant of Sauron, still totally independent of Sauron? Is that something that's still just something that could happen in the future, or is it going to be something that's already occurring? Um, that's, uh, that's, that's, I think, another big question about it. And then... Um, and then finally, what does it, what what are we going to see as far as Mordor is concerned? Are we going to see any gestures towards his actual return? Are, is Peter Jackson going to do anything that's going to look like you know him making preparations to return uh, to to Mordor? How directly are we going to see Sauron preparing to become? I mean, presumably there's going to be a transition. Um, you know, thinking of. And this is a really horrible example because anytime you compare something to one of the one of the Star Wars prequel films, it's really awful. Um, but like thinking of the awful moment, the, the the one of the most awful moments in in the most awful of the Star Wars prequels, that is the third one. Um, we do get that hilarious moment at the end when Anakin emerges in the Darth Vader suit, right? Mm-hmm. And that was. That was a, that was a visual necessity. I mean, the whole point of those films was to sort of show us where how we got to the place where we started, um, uh, you know, Star Wars: A New uh, A New Hope. So, um, presumably, there's going to be a similar kind of push, um, so that at the end of the Hobbit, the necromancer story ends with like him, you know. Uh, uh, you know, igniting the flaming eyeball or something on the top of, of Baradur. Um, you know, I, I don't know what it's going to look. But anyway, I mean, there's there's got to be some kind of transition into here is how you know now the pieces are set for what you know is going to happen next in the Lord of the Rings. Um, so are we going to get? I still any... see this enormous this enormous extension cord that somebody just plugs in at the end of the movie. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> it's kind of like a ribbon cutting ceremony, but. Uh, you know, it's like where they where they where they send up or, the, the the big orange eyeball for the first time. Or like the Olympic torch, right? Where somebody lights right, the... right, exactly, <laughs> exactly. Um, uh, anyway, okay. Oh, James so... already got that. James Pace already said that it's going to be an orc running with a torch like the Olympics <laughs> to light the flaming eye. <laughs> exactly, exactly. See, there you go, there you go. Um, that's that could happen could happen so so you know how are we going to now obviously that doesn't we don't have to get to that point until the end of the third movie necessarily so it's not like that has to be resolved here in thinking about the second film but one of the things that i am certainly presuming is that we're going to get a lot more of the necromancer in film 2 than we got in film 1 um and so you know as we get that what are we going to get what are we going to see him doing what are his operations like um what activities is he engaged in when they start to discover stuff what exactly are they going to discover um so those are the questions that i'd like to start with today uh to sort of try to set the scene for things here what do you guys think? Any are there any one of those questions you guys would like to particularly pile in on to start here? Um, well, just I'm, so I don't forget. Oh, sorry, Dave. Oh, I was just going to say I'm happy to follow your lead, Corey. I know you had sort of a uh, a notion of a, uh, uh, a an order to discussions today, so I say let's follow that. Well, so sure. you're, look, he's so much he's so much better than I am. You know, I just come, <laughs> I just come rolling. 
pouring in. He's, he's so good. No, no problem. Trish, go he ahead. He doffs his no cap way. at you. I think that's great. <laughs> well, this this actually might <laughs> this actually might be an addition to what you said, or a, or a you know like mm -hmm. a, a you know and it well in addition. Um, actually, Kay just brought it up, and I I had been thinking about it too. Um, given. Uh, Jackson's penchant, we we believe, or penchant, if you will, uh, for showing, you know, mustering armings and whatnot, and also that we have the 3D swoopy, you know, thing going on that he loves to do. Might we see something similar to Orthanc in 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 the Lord of the Rings? You know, in the bowels of Dol Guldur, the mustering of armies and armaments and things like that. So that might be right. an addition to some of the things you've already listed. Well, I mean, that you know, to sort of start there, it, it, it's it's difficult to see how, I mean really the, the the number one question that I think that this kind of leads me to is uh, and and here I'm immediately going to you know when we were talking about this episode and we're planning this episode in advance one of the things that we decided was that we don't want to talk about the actual battle of Dol Guldur this week um, but I'm immediately going to break from that because basically the question is what's the battle what's the confrontation going to look like because if the confrontation is going to be an armed fight, there's got to be an army. You know, he's got to put them somewhere. Um, and maybe he just has spiders. We've seen the, you know, the, the two things that we saw in film one about Dol Guldur is that as Radagast got closer to Dol Guldur, the evidence of spider presence was greater. Um, so presumably there are going to be a lot of the giant spiders around Dol Guldur. The second thing were, were the bats. That the vampire bats that attacked him um, when he was fleeing. So those are, you know, neither one of those, of course, is an orc army. Um, and and it leads to the question: Is that all? Is is that the kind of thing that we're going to get? Are we going to get merely, you know, uh, Sauron's own magic and power plus ring wraiths plus plus magic plus you know magical and evil creatures, but not an orc army? Um, but at the same time, we have evidence uh, from some of those descriptions and things that we saw before. Uh, glancing ahead to Bold, the initial description that we read when we saw we were talking about those character descriptions last year um, that Warner Brothers released, the description uh, of several of the orcs suggested that they were involved at Dol Guldur. Um, Bold was a torturer, right? That was that was like what he did. Right. Yeah, yes. he was like the the head of torture. Yes. Uh, the yeah. torture department at Dol Guldur. Right. The, the head of the torture department at Dol Guldur. So if there is a torture department at Dol Guldur, there've got to be prisons, right? So at the very least, we're probably going to get the pits of Dol, you know, the 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 black right. pits under Dol Guldur, um, in order to have a place to keep people that we can torture. So. Um, so at the very least, it's going to be that kind of a complex. That doesn't necessarily mean that we're... Now, that would be more like the Orthanc parallel, you know, to have yeah, the, yeah. the underground complex where, uh, you know, the, 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 the... You know, in Orthanc, we have the forging of weapons and the, the sort of breeding pits for the Uruk-hai um, and all that stuff is... But, but again, even there... Is that what Dol Guldur is going to be? Is it going to be the center? Orthanc was becoming the center of, of, of military action. Um, and, you know, he musters his armies of goblins. And it's not clear in the, um, 
in the film, I thought, not really clear exactly where all of those orcs came from. Are we supposed to understand that all of that huge army of orcs that we see from the balcony of Orthanc, that they were all underground uh, prior to that and have just emerged and lined up? Maybe that's true. I'm not really sure. Um, that was that was never really clear to me to understand um, to understand exactly how that works in Orthanc in, in the in, in the film, but. Um, you yeah, know, that, I am not. That's based, true. Based on what we saw, I'm not sure we're going to get that kind of a military center at Dol Guldur. Right, and, and and actually, the the Orthanc thing is 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 re, is relevant because just because we look and we say we don't know where he would keep them, all that stuff doesn't mean that Peter Jackson and company won't won't decide that when they need to have an army on screen for effect that they won't put one on there. They may right. just materialize yeah. out of nowhere. Right. <laughs> They might, they might, they might, uh, or to say the same thing in another way, um, he might possibly send to them. That is, he doesn't have to have a resident army, a standing army at Dol Guldur in order to have access to armies. I mean, Dol Guldur is not that far from the Misty Mountains where all of these goblins that we've already met are living. Um, And this is one of the things that we talked about a while back. One of the, one of the things which is, like a necessity, which is inescapable um, if you actually play out the regional politics more rigorously than Tolkien was interested in doing when he wrote The Hobbit in, 19, in the 1930s. Um, but if you actually do it, it's just it's like inconceivable that Sauron himself could be establishing his power right across the river from the Misty Mountains where all these goblins live and have those goblins have no clue that he's there and have no allegiance to him. You know, I mean... That's not really conceivable. So therefore, if he is, especially if he is staging, if he is starting his end game here, you know, if he's really starting to, it's one thing when he was in the mode of, I am trying to keep a low profile and I actively don't want anyone to suspect I'm here. But by this point, he's shifting uh, into different operations. He's shifting towards active preparation to openly declare himself and open up his war. And, it, whatever else preparing himself looks like, it's got to mean preparing armies, you know, getting his armies together to attack uh, the West. So, um, so... Well, there, you know, there's, a, there's another thing here, which is, uh, let's remember, <laughs> I hate it when people say that, um, <laughs> that what is going to become the Battle of Dol Guldur, which doesn't, isn't called that in the book, but in the book, they think that they've routed the necromancer. And in fact, what all that happens is he's just taken the opportunity to, to you know, relocate in Mordor. So that that effect still could be happening here. I mean, I'm thinking a couple things. One is Gandalf could end up going to Dol Guldur when he parts company with with uh, with the dwarves, and he might might see something other than the dungeons. You know, maybe some kind of army ramping up or something at Dol Guldur that makes him want to you know call in the troops and let's go to war. But that he won't see and we might see as an as an audience either in movie two or movie three really the extent to which sauron is is ramping up because you know we do know at the end he's going to be you know relocating to mordor uh uh so so his preparations are going to be much bigger than what the white council originally thought did any of that make sense Yes, and and really, it it brings in the question of how is you know what is Gandalf going to discover and how is that going to go down? Um, right, and that's a big question. I mean, and that's 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 a big uncertainty for me as I think about film two. Um, let's save that because I want to look at that maybe next 
session. Okay. Um, look okay. at you know Ga- like, uh, you know Gandalf solo adventure uh, and see what he's doing there and how so, that's gonna how that's gonna fit in. But just thinking about again, thinking about the political situation and Sauron's staging of things. Again, I I will be surprised if he has a standing goblin army somewhere in Mirkwood. I think he's going to have the evil creatures. But he's gonna have goblins within call. I mean, presumably he can put out, uh, you know, he, he he can put out a, a summons to the Misty Mountains. And knowing how fast uh, creatures can cover ground in Peter Jackson <laughs> films, they can get there in a heartbeat. So, um, plus he has the Nazgul. Maybe not on winged steeds, but he has right. them at least. That's the other thing is that we that we have. We have clear. That's the other thing of which we have clear evidence is that he has, he has the Nazgul with him, which of course he would have done. I mean, again, in 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 in, in Tolkien's uh, later versions of this, um, he he had the Nazgul with him. So um, so that makes perfect sense. <laughs> it's not having the Nazgul with him that's controversial. It's having had the Nazgul buried and then having to dig them up that's controversial. But um, having the Nazgul <laughs> present is not at all controversial. Um, uh, so yeah, so um, it's so it seems to me that the the actual what what we're going to see of Dol Guldur. Uh, I mean, it looks like there are going to be prisons below ground. I would not expect to see a military capital. I would not expect to see the forging of helmets and swords like we get in Orthanc. Um, that is presumably going on back in Mordor. That's probably what he's sending people to do. Like, go, you know, set up places for armies to live. Go send out, you know, send out, uh, uh, you know, messengers to to the people out in the east. You know, the Easterlings and the Haradrim that he's going to be bringing in. Get them starting to mobilize, um, you know. Start forging weapons. Corey, you know, um, whip up this, you know, all this stuff. What uh, what are we to understand he's doing at this point in the book? Because even presumably, even if he was building armies in Mordor in the book, it seems like that wouldn't be. If if his goal is to stay underground and to try and 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 have as many people as possible, sort of maintaining the illusion that he's that he's never coming back. Seems like doing a huge build-up in Mordor even would, would probably not work too well, because cause as much as Gondor has kind of waned at this point, they're still paying pretty close attention. I think they'd notice, like, boy, it sure is... Oh, and then, oh, is the Barad door a little taller than it was last week, guys? <laughs> like, you know, well, but <laughs> something's going on over there. Don't forget, though, that the Nazgul are already in Minas Morgul. Yeah. And that's their job, is to be the agents on the ground. Recall that the crossings of the Anduin um, were still being contested. That is to say, like, far from, um, you know, keeping vigilant watch upon Mordor, um, the armies of Gondor are having a problem even getting into Ithilien at this point, uh, because uh, the, 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 the Witch King is a problem. In Minas Morgul, so he it see, would seem to be screening most of this stuff. Um, now, you know, as far as the actual raising of the tower and the timing of the uh, like the the, uh, the 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 construction timetable on Baradur, um, you know, that's a that's a little bit that's a little bit less clear. But I don't think that the people that we have reason to think that the people from Gondor are seeing what's going on inside Mordor, because. Um, the Nazgul are guarding 
the 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 passes, and I don't think that the you know the 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 people of Gondor are not they're not still in charge of the Black Gate anymore. Um, so I think that what goes on in Mordor can happen pretty secretly, um, uh, thanks to the Lord of the Ringwraiths, who's in charge of that process and who's living at Minas Morgul, and is and they've got the people of Gondor have all that they can do uh, to even like keep access to uh, um, to the crossings of 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 the Anduin. So they've been in a state of war um, with Minas Morgul for a while. Um, and there's that continual, so they are used to that continual threat. Um, the actual mobilization of armies in the sense of like armies moving up from the south and coming into Mordor to prepare to attack, that's not going to happen for a while. I mean, we see that happening in the two towers, right? When Frodo and Sam are going, are, are going through. Um, that's not the stage where they would need to be. Basically, emissaries of Sauron would need to be heading south into Harad and out into the east uh, to tell these people, you know, okay, arm yourselves and get ready for war so that in a few years, you know, you can be ready to march or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, though, of course, again, at the time of The Hobbit, we're still not talking about a few years. We so, still remember 77 years right. from the War of the Ring so, at this point. So in, it, seems in, like, in books. <clears throat> it seems like it seems like they're that there really wouldn't be a whole lot of at least really obvious things going on here or um, certainly not a lot of military buildup, at least in the sense of, like, that would attract the attention of the White Council. Right. No, not not in Dol Guldur. I wouldn't think so. Yeah. Um, And even in in Mordor, it would have to be done in such a way as to – to main, as to continue to encourage people to keep thinking that oh it's it's probably just the Nazgul, um, you know every everything has to be done to to deflect away the deflect people from noticing that it's probably Sauron guys, right? Yes, yes. Um, they think the 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 leading theory about who this necromancer guy is is that he's one of the Ringwraiths, um, you know that. The, the ring rates were never really accounted for. We know that they're at uh, Minas Morgul. Um, we uh, we suspect that one of them is here in Dol Guldur also. Um, and so now that Sauron is gone, they're setting up on their own. Remember, this is actually the pattern, right? You know, at the end of the first age, we get rid of Morgoth. Hooray! Morgoth is gone. Oh wait, but his lieutenant is now going to set up on his own, and Sauron <laughs> becomes the big boss, right? So it's the end of the second age. Hooray! Sauron is gone, and but now his lieutenants are setting up on their own and gonna. I mean, this this looks like the pattern, right? Yeah. Um. So they have every reason to kind of take that seriously. Um. And and that's why, uh, you know, again, sometimes people feel like, look, there's this like you know hugely evil force taking shape. Why would they think it's not Sauron? Well, because it actually could be the Lord of the Ring Raids. Why not? Again, that's what happened before. Um. So. It's not to say that they don't take it seriously or have no reason to take it seriously or that by saying, oh, it's just one of the ring rates, it means they're not taking it seriously. It's just that they're not understanding the true significance. Actually, no, it's not one of the ring rates. It's actually Sauron himself returning to power. Um, So uh, anyway, um, but I agree. I don't think – well, okay. I was about to say I agree that I don't think that there is – there's – you know, we're supposed to understand there's a military installation in the south of Mirkwood, but at the same time, in the Quest of Erebor material, when Gandalf is explaining the big picture, um, he says that he believed that uh, that Sauron was 
what Sauron had in mind, had Sauron been unmolested, had they not attacked him and driven him out, um, what Sauron would have... Uh, that Basically, Sauron had two options. Option number one was to continue to build his strength and open his war against Gondor and the rest of the West several years down the road um, when he was all ready. But his second option was to do preemptive strikes against the chief centers of resistance, meaning Lorien and Rivendell. And that's what Gandalf was worried he was going to use Smaug to do. That he was going to send Smaug, probably accompanied with an army of goblins, uh, over to Rivendell and attack and destroy Rivendell as a preemptive strike. Because if he can get rid of Rivendell and he can get rid of Lothlorien, then all he's got to worry about is Gondor and it's not going to be a big deal. Um, and so Gandalf and Gandalf says, had Sauron done that, he probably would have won. He it probably would have worked. You know, he probably could have succeeded in attacking Rivendell, in 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 destroying Rivendell and Lothlorien, and the War of the Ring would almost certainly have been uh, a lost cause. As you know, how could the Ring Bearer have possibly done what he did if he didn't get the help that he got in Rivendell and Lothlorien? Um, so. So that's that's Gandalf's retroactive assessment of what was going on then, um, and what could have happened. So, if he's going to attack Lothlorien, which again was you know Gandalf's Gandalf's thought was he's going to send Smaug to attack Rivendell, and he Sauron would attack Lothlorien, which is right there next you know near Dol Guldur. Um, he would have to have something to attack. He presumably would not just come like by himself with ringwraiths and spiders. Um, presumably he would have had an army, or gotten an army for that, too. Um, so there is some reason to think that he would have been building an army there also. So, you know, I, I, so basically I'm just saying I think it's not open and shut either way in that sense. Um, but um, uh, anyway, so um, so but I think film-wise... I would be surprised, and I think that I know that. The, I mean, I saw there was somebody earlier, and I forgot it went by, and I forgot who it was. Um, somebody was commenting that um, if um, if there's a chance to show an army on screen, Peter Jackson will probably take it. So it's difficult to imagine, <laughs> you know, that battle going by without without that. Um, possibly, possibly. Um, but I'm, I, you know, I'm not sure. I could also see Peter Jackson playing against type there, um, because I could see him wanting to have the Battle of Dol Guldur and the Battle of Five Armies play out in very different ways. You know, to have the opportunity to show two very different kinds of battle, um, rather than just like here's a pretty big battle and here's a really big battle. I mean, maybe he'll do that, um, but I can, but I can imagine him not doing that. I can imagine him. Um, as I say, kind of going against type there, but we'll see. Um, um, one possibility yeah. uh, could could uh, could maybe Bolg leading the armies of the of the goblins of the north on their way to um, the lonely mountain maybe stop by and just you know hey oh how's it going <laughs> uh oh looks like you're under attack necromancer we'll help out. <laughs> Fortunate we happen to be in the neighborhood. Yeah. <laughs> uh, maybe, maybe. Um, 
but of course, it really begs the question. I mean, are Gandalf and Galadriel going to bring an army? But I, I, you know, having having uh, uh, um, unashamedly brought up that subject, which I wasn't supposed to talk about, um, we should probably <laughs> not talk about it too much. Um, <laughs> oh shoot! Now you got me going. <laughs> I know, I know. It's so cruel. Um, but um, I, I, uh, anyway, I think just... Kate Neville has does have a good point, which is, which is. People already – there were already a significant number of people who watched the first Hobbit film and said, did I just watch Fellowship of the Ring? Like, it's exactly right. the same film. <laughs> Got some hobbits. They're in the, the Shire. Then they leave. Uh, then they go into the mountains. Then they go underneath the mountains, and then they escape at the end. And a lot of people <laughs> – a lot of people saw a lot of similarities if if what we right. get in this film, this next film, is we get sort of the battle that's the lead up to the bigger battle, people are going to say it even right. more. Like Peter Jackson's just remaking his previous film, so I think right. Kate's right. right. I don't think he'll want to be driven to himself. I I really think we're not going to get a huge battle. I, I think if anything, we're going to get the Avengers style thing that we mentioned when we talked did a riddle about this last season. But um, maybe we'll get a singing battle. Yeah, yeah. I, just like Felagund and Sauron. If he were to do yeah! that, if he were to do that, I would, I would take back every criticism I've ever made of him, even if it turns out badly. I would just give him yes. props for doing that. That's true. <laughs> I would too. I would too. Um, but now, Art Lion asks us. Art Lion says, "What does the text tell us about the nature of the assault on Dol Guldur?" And as I recall, not a lot, Nothing. and it's mainly in the appendices of Return of the King. We just know isn't that isn't it that in the, of Lord of the Rings? Yeah, the White Council moves against him in some sense. You know, it's not even that's all he uh, says. It's it all didn't, he says. It didn't I mean, even involve singing. Right. My, I mean, when <laughs> I, I know, bummer. I distinctly remember when I was like a teenager reading and rereading the Lord of the Rings. The image I had in my mind of the White Council's attack on the necromancer was not even like basically that they didn't even move that it was just like a purely like telepathic struggle basically um you know that they didn't even physically go to Dol Guldur they just sort of put forth their power in some sense against him and he fled um now i'm not saying that i think that that's what's going to happen but the description is so vague that 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 without examining it i realized that that's what i had in my head when i pictured it um when I was reading this as a kid, so I, it's 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 certainly wide open for what happens there. Um, it certainly does not sound like it was a military struggle. Um, this it's it's always described as White Council versus Necromancer, not armies of Lorien versus armies of Necromancer. Um, right. So. And again, he might he might depart from that. Um, I don't know how Tolkien would depict it if Tolkien were going to go back and depict it. It's it's again it's it's I think there's not very much evidence um, by which we can sort of reconstruct what Tolkien's picture was of what of what that confrontation was like. Um, but um, well, see, that's uh, one of the good things yeah. about not necessarily coloring in all the detail. You know, it's like right. you could just say, "Oh, well, they defeated him." <laughs> Right. It's like you can move on to something else. Now, I do remember Philippa Boyens at last year's Comic-Con uh, getting practically girlishly giddy over how you know badass Galadriel is in the movies and starting to extol what she does in Battle of Dol Guldur and then, and then Jackson like hushes her up because, you know, that's 
that's right. later movie stuff. So right. th that piece of data alone makes me think that she was probably fit, you know, physically there doing something badass as opposed to doing some kind of you know, mental you know, I stuff. So I don't know. Would not be in the least bit surprised. I mean, certainly, uh, giving the obvious um, <clears throat> and unfortunately comic um, example of the Gandalf Saruman fight in the Fellowship of the Ring. I mean, we have right. seen we have seen him fairly persistently physicalizing uh, exertions right. of magic of that kind. You know, instead of Gandalf... that's what Art says. Art says, "Are we going to get another Wizard Smackdown?" But this time right. with tag teaming. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. And if, exactly. And, and you know the the um, the other looming concern here: screen time. Yes. I, oh gosh. I yeah. I, that's I just. I personally think we're going to get a completely anticlimactic show up and he's gone. You know, that would fit the basic description of what happens. Uh, right. I mean, uh, it does say that he he feigned to flee, right? Um, that he fled before them. They don't say that they defeated him and sent him off with his tail between his legs. He fled. And uh, but he was faking it. He actually was. This was not. This was not a flight. This was just a, a planned relocation, which was made to look like a flight to make them feel more complacent, like they had they had uh, you know done away with the threat, um, when in fact they hadn't done it away with the threat. So um, so yeah, it is entirely possible that when that when it comes, we're not going to get any kind of direct confrontation between. Uh, you know, Gandalf, Goadriel, and the necromancer himself. Now, I can't see no confrontation at all. I mean, I can't see, you know, uh, uh, Gandalf and Goadriel, like, you know, arming for bear and showing up, and they're just like tumbleweeds rolling around in Dol Guldur, and they don't do anything and turn around and go home. Um, that I can't see. You know, Bri Brianna kind of brings up a good idea, which is that he could actually turn Galadriel. Adriel into like a Luthien character in terms of defeating Sauron. Hey, you know, that would be both awesome and perfectly justifiable, actually. I right. Think. Um, uh, yeah, absolutely. Why not? Um, you, That'd be pretty could, badass, actually. <laughs> she could rip down the whole place. Um, That's right. I mean, Luthien did it. Uh, I mean, Luthien, Luthien ripped down the tower um, that, where Sauron was. Um, such that the underground prisons were exposed to the sky. Um, so, I mean, we're talking a complete, a complete leveling of this place. Um, Brianna says she was mainly joking, but see, that should serve you right, Brianna, because we will take up even the most ludicrous I, no, ideas. I, I, I actually find it a very attractive <laughs> idea. I really actually, I find it. it kind of cool, too, because, you know, since he's really not allowed to do anything with the Silmarillion copyright-wise, it, it just <laughs> would fit his sense of... You know, mischievousness to come up with a scene, you know, sort of out of nowhere that, oh, gee, just that, does that really, is that similar to something else? Right. Oh, I didn't yeah. know that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> little, yeah, little, little, little disguised Luthien cameo here. Um, well, yeah. one thing, yeah. so yeah. Here's, a, here's a possibility. Suppose they go in to attack. Um, well, it's kind of. Okay, notice that we've just completely devolved into talking about the battle. Yeah, yeah. It's, it's... <laughs> Actually, okay, yeah. Let's let's keep moving on. Um, it, it, it was it's kind of relevant in the sense that it's cause it, that that the battle sort of the battle bespeaks of what what his level of power and organization there, which is getting at the central yeah, question. Yeah, no, it's true. I mean, that's why I brought it up in the first place because you really can't. I mean, 
Dol Guldur has to be, you know, what's going on at Dol Guldur ultimately has to be setting up what's going to, you know, what the film is moving to. So, yeah, I agree. It's it's really, I, I was planning to not talk about the battle, but I think that kind of turns out to be impossible. But yeah. sorry. It was, it, was, it, was <laughs> a worth, it was a worthwhile try. I, I was thinking that if they showed up and kind of were expecting to sort of sneak in and fight a, a, a necromancer guy and ran into a, you know, huge pack of orcs and some, you know, other Mordor like creatures and that maybe, maybe this is what sort of convinces them that like, Hey, wait a minute. What are orcs doing here? What, you know, what, what's going on? And then it turns out that the necromancer's gone. They never fight him. So we just get, maybe we just get some scenes of a small band like Gandalf, Gladriel, Legolas, few people like that fighting orcs and then, and then escaping and coming away thinking, well, that's odd. Why are all those orcs there? You know, that this seems, <laughs> right. this doesn't look like just sort of any old human necromancer. This is looking very, uh, very Sauron like, um, mm-hmm. I wonder if that's a possibility. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I, I, I do think the battle is not going to look like a set piece battle, um, like like the Battle of Helm's Deep and the Battle of Pelennor Fields. I, I, I do agree that it's not going to. I don't think it's going to be like that. Um, so one way or another, whether it comes in with them expecting something small and having it escalate, um, you'd think they could their scouting could be a little bit better than that, especially if, you know, Radagast has access to, like, you know, all of the woodland creatures of Mirkwood to help him scout. You would think that, at the very least, they could get some decent intelligence about what they're facing when they get there. Um, but maybe not. I mean, you know, I suppose spiders, uh, at the very least, if not vampire bats, could be a, a, a pretty good defense against that. Um but anyway, I, I, possibly. But I think, to me, the bringing it out to sort of the next question, whatever it is that we find, presumably prisons, um, maybe some kind of military installation, but I doubt it. Um, the question is still, what is what are we going to see Sauron doing? How much of how much of of an appearance by him are we going to get? Remember, he gets lines. We're going to hear him talk at some point, because Benedict Cumberbatch has lines for him. Um, so we are at some point going to see, going to hear something about what he's doing, and at the very least, we're going to hear him giving orders or something. Um, if not actually get, get sustained dialogue, including him. Um, so what's he going to be up to? And the, the thing that seems primary, you know, coming back to what I think Kate was alluding to earlier, he's got to be looking for the ring, right? He's got to be looking for the ring. And this leads me to to the other, uh, another question. Are we going to get Gollum? We asked about Gollum coming oh. out. Are we going to see Gollum again? Is Gollum going to emerge? Uh, you'll remember, I predicted yes last time. Now I was wrong. Gollum, Gollum didn't emerge in film one, though primarily I would I would still... I would plead for that, that when we made that uh, that prediction question, that was still in the two-film scenario. And with the three-film scenario, the riddles in the dark got moved to the very, you know, near the very end of the film. So, um, you know, Gollum only had about ten minutes in which to emerge from, uh, from the mountains in film one, so it wasn't shocking to me that he didn't. Um, but could Gollum, em- you know, basically my question is, Sauron, his, he's got to be looking for the ring, right? I mean, if he's doing anything, he's going to be doing that. And if he's doing that, what does that look like? 
Um, presumably not, uh, as Kate was joking before, you know, going around with a metal detector on the banks of the Anduin. Um, but if it doesn't look like that, what does it look like? Is he going to ha to have figured out that somebody found the ring? Is he going, in fact, to be starting to hunt for Gollum, even if he doesn't know where or what he's looking for? And presumably he's not going to catch him. I mean, we in the Fellowship of the Ring film, we got the torturing of Gollum at the beginning. And that that's one of the things that, that really sets off the events of the Fellowship of the Ring, uh, both in the book and the film, um, is, you know, Gollum's capture in Mordor is a big deal. Um, so presumably they're not going to anticipate that and have him captured 77 years earlier, not that the passage of time means very much in the films. But, uh, but nevertheless, presumably that's not going to happen. But are we going to get, you know, a pursuit of, you know, a hunt for Gollum, Gollum emerging? I mean, that, that, that possibility seems to present itself. What do you guys think? Do you think we're going to get more Gollum? Do you think we're going to get uh, we're going to get people tracking down Gollum or hearing rumors of him? Man, you're really taking. I wouldn't this be off surprised. Track. I mean, come on. <laughs> it's totally not off track. This is this is a central question for the Necromancer. Um, I I um I you know I know that what's his name Andy Circus I believe has has gone on record saying that like there's no more lines. Oh, he said something you know like he's implied that there's no more Gollum, but I think what he meant was he's not going to be actually saying you know no dialogue anymore. Right. But I don't think that means we won't see Gollum. So I wouldn't be at all surprised that we see him. I mean, I think yeah, I think we would see him. <laughs> so <laughs> maybe Gollum will be part of the the a party that's attacking Dol Guldur. <laughs> <laughs> or Kate says he th she thinks Gollum will be emerging at the very end, along with the eyeball lighting ceremony. Yes. Yeah, quite possible. <clears throat> Again, I, I still I cannot imagine that we're not going to see Gollum emerge. I can't imagine it. Um, but there's going to be a. Of course, now it might be at the very very end of movie three. I mean, it, it might could. be kind of in part. It could. There's got to be an epilogue that's going to set us up for Lord of the Rings, and so you know it might be. But yeah, I mean, I do think that that's one of the things that needs to occur in order to set things up uh, right, for right. the Fellowship of the Ring. Because again, remember, we start with Gollum being captured and tortured in Mordor. Um, there's got to be, a, you know, how does, you know, if we last right. see him afraid to leave the mountains <clears throat> and we next find him being tortured in Mordor. Um, so no, he, right, he's, I, I, think right. he, I think I think he's got to come out or at least there'd be some indication that he's gonna. Um, That's true, and, he, and, he, and his capture actually could take place at Dol Guldur, and he could be then taken to Mordor. So, you know, there's there's some stuff in there that Jackson has, you know, some room to play in that. Yeah, and you know, I mean, that's a, a it's another classic example of time compression. I mean, what are we like supposed to imagine? He's tortured for seventy seven years, but remember, <laughs> like. We do get the fact that 60 years pass. I mean, let's say 60 years earlier at the beginning of the first Hobbit film. That's yes. true. So he does yes. recognize the correct historical, the correct chronological framework that Which he goes on to obliterate the in party. the Lord of the Rings films. <laughs> right. Well, see, the last 17 years, yeah, they go away, right? So it's not 77 years, it's only 60. But still, 60 years is a long time to be tortured in Mordor and say Shire Baggins. You know, presumably they could have gotten Shire That's Baggins true. out of him in fewer than 60 years of torture. Um, so, you know, I don't know. But, um, uh, but uh, at the very least, again... He's got to be searching for the ring, right? If it's if 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 the searching for the ring isn't a golem involving plot, what is it? Are we just gonna get, um, you know, the um, 
you know, what orcs and spiders searching around in the river. Um, this is presumably not spiders, presumably, but 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 orcs. This is presumably what in fact was happening. Remember, Sauron is noticing that Sauron's people are searching the river. Um, uh, you know that this this so I. That must be what's going on. I don't know, um, but I, but it's hard to imagine <clears throat> that hunting for the ring is not going to be. I mean, it seems so obvious in retrospect um, when you take the position of Dol Guldur. I say in retrospect because it wasn't part of the plan. The necromancer, who is Sauron, was established at Dol Guldur in the south of Mirkwood in the Hobbit when it had no connection to the ring plot whatsoever. But um, the fact that Dol Guldur is quite close to the Gladden Fields, where the ring was found. Um, I mean, it's it's uh, it's quite inescapable. One could imagine coming back to it from uh, from the other end, um, that one would say this is why the Necromancer is set up there in the first place. Is because he is set up in a yeah, place right. which is going to be maximally convenient for ring searching, because his number one goal, obviously Sauron's number one objective, is going to be to find the ring. Um, so. So anyway, just are they going to include that? What role is uh, what role is Sauron's hunt for the ring going to play in the story? Um, what what vis what you know on screen manifestation of that hunt is there going to be? Um, you know, is this something even that could be when when Gandalf and Galadriel find out that it's him? Um, is this going to be something that they themselves are also thinking about? Um, you know, I don't know. It's uh, it's it's difficult. I think not. I mean, again, in the in the books, um, Gandalf doesn't figure out um, how the ring could be the ring of power and how it could possibly have come to Bilbo and to Frodo um, if it were the ring of power. Like that takes him a while to piece it together, and he's not piecing that together until after Bilbo finds his ring. Um, so. So I get from book chronolo from a book chronology standpoint, um, it would not make that much sense for Gandalf to say, you know, step one, holy cow, this is the this is the, the necromancer is really Sauron. Step two, holy cow, he's probably looking from the ring, and we better stop him from finding it. Um, that progression would not make sense within the chronology within the book chronology. Um, but uh, anyway, it's just I, this is this it, this is one of the re real challenges, and I want to just kind of back up and say, this all the stuff that we're talking about today, um, th these are some I think some of the biggest challenges that Peter Jackson faces in doing these films. It's always challenging and really interesting to think about how is he going to deal with characters who are there in the story, and uh, you know characters who are there in the book. How is he going to depict places that are there in the book? How is he going to adapt the plot so that it can fit in within the film and everything else? Those are always questions, like like what we were asking about Bard last time. You know, you've got Bard, and and we have a lot of what Bard does, but there are a lot of empty. Um, empty spaces in Bard's character, and how is Peter Jackson going to make him into a character on screen? This question is a much bigger question. All of these questions have to be addressed. What is he doing? What is what is the Necromancer doing? What is going on? What's his strategy? What is he actually occup? What is what is he actually? Uh, 
you know, what's his overall strategy? What's he doing at the time? What are we gonna What are we gonna see? How much are other people gonna figure out? How much is gonna be revealed to the audience? And how? Um, you know, these are questions for which the text provides almost no help at all. Um, and so Peter Jack Jackson just has to just to do it. He just has to make it up. Um, be and, and again, and I say has to. He can't just leave it because it's necessary. Um, it's it's it it it's 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 necessary, and Tolkien himself only avoided answering these questions by never narrating the story. But Peter Jackson has undertaken to narrate the story, so he's got to answer them. Um, and I think these are these are really uh, it, categorical big questions about what kinds of things are we going to see. Like you know, it's possible, it's possible that the ring will be a total non-factor through the whole rest of the films. I could see that. Um, having the ring not be anybody's focus, have the necromancer not focusing on it, um, just have it be sort of a small subplot as it begins to grow on Bilbo and there be some sort of foreshadowing that it's going to be a big deal and that it's probably malicious um, and have the ring playing absolutely no other role in the story. I could see that that would be totally justifiable. At the same time, I can really see uh, the search for the ring being an obvious factor that it seems needs to be addressed uh, by Sauron. <laughs> so let's see. That's how all about, I got how about, how, about, I how about the question of the Smaug, the, the, the question of the Smaug link? I, I saw there were a couple people were asking about this earlier. Um, you yeah, know, people, people both... actually are very interested in this because, because, um, and, and this gets into a broader question, which could, which could probably be like a two hour discussion in general about sort of Sauron inheriting Morgoth's power over his creatures, that kind of stuff. So, you know, so yes. obviously, it seems there's hints of this in the quest for Erebor, right? Like where, where, yes. like Gandalf's the one that's really making this connection that like we've really got to do something about Smog because if if Sauron's yes. allowed to return to full power and Smog's still around, we're in big trouble. Whereas, um, uh, you know, if we can get rid of Smog, that's just one less front in the war. And, and so, so there's this obvious sort of, there's this implication from Gandalf that if Sauron returns to power, Smog will help him. Um, you know, it's just, it's just given as a matter of, 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 of fact, it's assumed that this will be the case. And some people were sort of asking, like, is that really true? Why, you know, what reason do we have to believe that Smog would help with Sauron? I guess the implication being that he's a character with agency and power on his own and has his own priorities. Um, so, right. so, 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 you know, some of that kind of stuff, but then also just getting into, let's assume, assume that, that Smog, um, would help him will they get into that in the film at all is is there actually room and time for that how would they do that maybe it'll just be a subtle hint um something what do you think yeah i mean really is it is there going to be uh um any communication i would be very surprised if smaug is depicted as the necromancer's henchman you know, I mean, if we get like a scene with Smaug somehow communicating with Sauron or his emissary, <laughs> turns out Smaug's and... got a got a, uh, a Palantir as well. Exactly, exactly. Um, no, you know, if, you know, somebody, you know, there's like an emissary from Necromancer who shows up uh, at the Lonely Mountain to talk to the dragon, and Smaug is like, you know, I would be very surprised to see Smaug. Uh, respond to that essentially by being like, "Oh yes, sir." Whatever he says, you know, tell him to deploy me whenever. Like, I I, I can't imagine Smaug simply being a henchman like that. Um, 
I would think he would uh, be. Unfortunately, they an, reduced an Saruman into a henchman, but you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, though, in a sense, he was. I mean, in a sense, Sar- Saruman in the book is less of a free agent than Smaug is, mm-hmm. um, because Sauron has come under the domination of Sauron himself. He's still uppity, you know, he's still playing his own game, um, but he has, but he's already basically under the dominion, he's kind of trying to rebel against it, but he's still under the dominion of Sauron to some extent, under the influence of Sauron to some extent. Smaug? I, I, you know, I wouldn't see that. But again, like, are they going to have time for this? Are they going to, are, are they going to, I mean, they can't do all of this stuff. No. So which of this stuff are they going to do? I don't think they're going to make him a henchman. Um, are we going to see it simply in the planning stages? You know, are we going to get some sense? Are we going to get nothing other than Gandalf and Galadriel saying, like, holy cow, what if, you know, Smaug and the Necromancer get together and start working together? Gosh, let's cut things off before that possibly could could happen. Um, <laughs> you know, that I could really see. Uh, are love... you laughing at Hinchform? Uh, no, I like Yana's suggestion, which is, the thrush is secretly working for Sauron. When Smog refuses, <laughs> when Smog refuses the thrush, uh, uh, thrush's sort of overtures to, to, to help Sauron, the thrush uh, betrays him and tells Bard his weak spot out of revenge. So Sauron's like, "All right, fine." <laughs> That's devious. Oh. Now Kay Kay makes Kay makes a good point, and I, I think that. this is I think Kay I think you're right. You know she says I I get the his sense from the books that the reason a still living smog in the north would be devastating is because there'd be multiple fronts to fight on, and I and I think that is right. Isn't that what um, in Quest of Erebor, you know, as a as a backfill, Tolkien uses that as Gandalf's reasoning. Yeah, for except Gandalf, to get Gandalf explicitly way, right? says when he says that. He says something to the effect of Sauron could use a dragon to terrible yes. effect. It's not yes, ah, used ah, ah. to terrible effect. That's exactly the phrase right. that I was just going to okay. quote too. He does okay. imply that Sar- that Smaug would be Sauron's tool. Now, thinking about this, thinking about the obvious precedent that we have for this, Smaug going to lead an army to sack Rivendell is, uh, you know, under the general command of Sauron. Is a direct would be a direct parallel to Glauron's taking Nargothrond. Oh yeah, okay. yeah. So we have this precedent of a dragon-led army taking out a major elf, a center of elf power, but also notice um, what Glauron does. Glauron is a lieutenant of Morgoth. He is obeying. He is doing the will of his master, but he's also playing his own game. You know, Glaurung is also setting up on his own. He's not setting up in rivalry of Morgoth, but why does he do it? Well, he sets up in Nargothrond. He takes the treasure of Nargothrond for himself and establishes himself as, like, dragon king of Nargothrond. Um, and is Morgoth fine with that? Yeah, Morgoth seems fine. It's, it doesn't seem to be an act of rebellion on, uh, on Glaurung's part, but I think even in the Silmarillion, we can see that Glaurung is not just a henchman of Morgoth either. You know that 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 Glaurung is doing his own thing, and serving his own ends, which happen to coincide with Morgoth's, and that's fine. Um, but it's not like he's serving just simply out of loyalty, and that's Morgoth. 
right? So would Smaug be willing to go attack Rivendell? I'm sure he would, because that would be fun, right? And he would gain from that. Um, and he could set himself up and have, you know, more possibilities of conquest in the future. And, um, you know, I, I, he could add to his horde very greatly. I'm sure that Smaug could be talked into that, but I don't think it would be as henchmen. Um, I think he would be playing his own game, and Sauron isn't Morgoth anyway. Now, you can say Smaug isn't Glaurung, but, but Sauron isn't Morgoth, so um, I would think that the loyalty that Smaug would have to Sauron would have been less, even, than Glaurung had to Morgoth, which, in my reading of Glaurung, isn't absolute anyway. Um, we can see Glaurung's independence even from the very beginning, even when he was still a juvenile dragon. I uh, remember that incident where he comes out and shows himself and attacks uh, before uh, Morgoth was ready, and Morgoth is all ticked off about it uh, because Glaurung has revealed himself before Saur uh, Morgoth was fully prepared for it. Um, so we see Glaurung's independence uh, from the very beginning. Uh, of his current from from the very first day of his actual public career, um, I assume Smaug would be the same thing, um, but um, but yeah, I don't think that um, we're going to have any kind of advanced state of this happening. Um, I could imagine communication. I could imagine that happening. I could imagine seeing a an emissary of the necromancer visiting Smaug and, you know, making overtures and talking about working together. Um, certainly, I think Peter Jackson is going to have to establish the threat, is going to have to show how, you know, what's going on here with Dol Guldur, the mountain, um, to basically put this in the terms that Gandalf in the Quest of Erebor puts it in, to see this as a major move in the overall chess game that is the forces of the White Council against Sauron, trying to position things to set up for the war that is to come. Um, to anticipate a possible preemptive strike, to, uh, to eliminate a major ally at the beginning, what kind of implications this is going to have for the future development of this conflict in the decades to come, that kind of, th I think that has to get accomplished on screen somehow. That has to be set up. Maybe it just happens in conversations between Gandalf and Galadriel. That, might, that I think, is the most efficient way to do it. Um, but it depends, I think, on how he wants to build up the character of, of Smaug as well. Because by doing this, by having... Uh, by showing us some kind of, you know, the beginnings of political machinations between Smaug and Sauron, it invests the fall of Smaug with greater significance. Now this is not just, you know, hey, it's the unexpected uh, and miraculous deliverance of the people of Lake Town and the region and the dwarves from the dragon who was dominating over them. Now the desolation of Smaug um, can end and the region can be restored to, to, to health. That's the fairy tale story, right? That's the fairy tale story we get in The Hobbit. Um, but for this to be not only, ah, when the dragon falls to his death and crashes into the lake, this not only frees the region and uh, opens up the possibility for the reestablishment of Erebor, this also is a major stroke in the larger war. And this has, you know, continental implications. Uh, and Sauron himself, and maybe that's the point at which Sauron decides to retreat. That I could also see, you know, Sauron being like, oh, okay, great, now the dragon's dead. Well, plan B, let's go to Mordor and set things up from there.
Um, you know, I, so I, I think that it, it seems to me very much in keeping with the overall story that he's telling here that we could be invited to see the death of Smaug as having that kind of larger significance. You know, um, what we've talked about so far actually has no bearing whatsoever on the riddle we created. You're correct. <laughs> so fascinating. It just it just occurred to me. I know, I know. It is. Okay. It is. So it's, moving forward we, then. I think we've 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 done like a whole other episode that we were gonna do down the line, but it still yes, right. is we could still fine. but we could still do an episode because we could this is very, very like you said, I think, I think Jackson's. I will say this: we used to talk about Jackson's challenge, and this is really one of the most interesting topics to talk about. Is how Jackson's going to deal with this? Is because not only does he have Tolkien, but he's got his, like you've said before, he's got his own now yes. story that he has to be uh, aligned with. So that makes it even more, yes. like challenging. Yes, exactly. So, no, and, and actually, we can definitely segue to Bolg, which is what we primarily wanted to talk about, the character of Bolg, because that relates to all of these things. Because we know the one thing we're told about Bolg, okay, two things. No, one thing that we're told about Bolg um, um, in the movie stuff is that he is connected with Dol Guldur. You know, we're t in the, his description released by Warner Brothers is that he's like head torturer at Dol Guldur. Um, so he... Azog's connection with Dol Guldur was uncertain. He was clearly not affiliated with the Great Goblin. You know, the Great Goblin saw him as this, like, outsider free agent. We saw him first, Azog, as, you know, the, the leader of the Goblins of Moria. So we saw him as a major political leader among the Goblins. When we see him in the film, he's not. You know, he's leading this small elite group of wolf riders. It's not clear that he has a kingdom of his own anymore. Um and he seems to have dedicated himself to chasing down Thorin. Um, Bolg, it's even less clear. We did clearly see Bolg getting taken out by Dwalin at the battle at the Battle of Azanulbazar. That definitely happened. Um, now, what's going to be happening? What's going to be happening from there? The because the question the the, the the riddle that we wanted to build to is what's Bolg's role going to be in the second film? Um, and the answer to that question is really tied to this question of what we think the necromancer is going to be doing. If Bolg is affiliated with Dol Guldur, um, then what Bolg's role in the story is going to be um, speaks back directly to what is the necromancer up to and what ends is he attempting to accomplish um, over the course of the second film. Um, so now remember, Bolg is a character, f is in the book, um, uh, Bolg is present, he is the leader of the goblin armies, he is apparently like the over-king of the goblins, um, who leads the goblins from Mount Gundabad down to the Battle of Five Armies at the end of the story. Um, so Bolg is present. Um, is Bolg... And actually, this is something that I was just having sort of doubts about. Bolg, of course, is the son of Azog. That's one of the things that we've been taking for granted from the beginning, because that's how he's introduced in the book. Um, in the movie stuff, is there confirmation of that? That they're going to have Bolg be Azog's son? Yes. 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 In fact, um, uh, Trish sent me an article that's on Empire Online that's an interview with... Uh, and in fact... When Let me send it from? to you too, Corey. Okay. I don't know. Not recently. It's pretty recent. It, 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 
it yeah. came out it came out concurrently with the DVD Blu-ray. Um, yeah, yeah, uh, they're release. talking about the Hobbit. So, so Azog, it's an interview with Manu Bennett who plays Azog, and actually this is a really interesting story. First of all, I just realized that this is the same dude that's playing Slade Wilson on uh, on the Green Arrow yeah. TV series. Which is pretty awesome. And he's also in Spartacus. And he's on Spartacus. Too. He's also really famous. Yeah, this that. guy's career yeah. is taking off. So apparently he tried out for Azog. Then the other giant New Zealand dude was cast as Azog. And I was under the impression that person was still playing Azog. But apparently that person has been switched to playing Bolg. So the fact that they... That, I think this is a confirmation that Bolg is still a character who will be in the films. Um... But so they ask Manu about this. They say, uh, we haven't seen Bolg on screen yet, but it's hard to imagine a father-son dynamic between orcs. And um, <laughs> so anyway, they ask him about He says, I don't think there will be a bottle feeding scene, yeah. he says. <laughs> and, and most of his answer there is about the whole casting um, thing. But he does mention that, 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 um, uh, that they are going to be that, – that Bolg's going to be on screen, that they're going to be doing some stuff – uh, I don't know. You know, the fact that they kind of bumped uh, this this sort of, you know, maybe not as well-known Kiwi actor down to Bolg and replaced him with a more prominent, you know, this the guy who's been in Spartacus and stuff guy makes you wonder if his role's been minimized a little bit, and but he's still on screen. I don't know. Um, flipping through this, it turns out I actually don't get very many details. So, so no, we don't. Well, what the main thing that he <coughs> that I got from this this article is, and I told Corey this earlier was, um, I guess the guy who now plays Bulk, who was originally playing Azog, was actually filmed as Azog. I mean, Jackson, I guess, had done quite a bit of filming of him, and mm -hmm. then he wasn't happy with the character. It, it was a different looking character than what they've got. It was actually not. I don't even think it was motion capture. I think it was like something else. And so then he just decided to scrap that Azog and, and, you know, this guy got moved over to Bolg and then they asked Manu to come in to be, uh, to be Azog. And at that point, that's one of the reasons why we never got Azog in any of the trailers, in any of the posters and in any of the toy sets is because this Azog that we know now came along so late in the process. Mm -hmm. Um, so I, that was kind of an interesting piece of information. Right. And, and why we did get Bolg action figures. Mm -hmm. Right. Prior why we to did film get one. Right. Um, when he was almost completely invisible in that film. Yeah. Um, yeah, it is pretty. Uh, it is pretty weird. Apparently, so one thing they asked him is, "Will there be any? Is there going to be? You sort of would assume that there probably has got to be, just like hours of Azog footage on the extended edition." He says, "Actually, no. Everything that was filmed was on screen, uh, and that's because huh. they filmed so much of it the last time. Because it was second. so late. So he is going yeah. back to film more." this year, uh, which makes you wonder if he, maybe he's going to make it till the third film. Um, well, he says, Peter's told me he's going to build Azog up over the next two films, so I'm getting plenty to do. Yeah. His motivation is to hunt down little old Thorn Oakenshield, the guy who took his arm off, and chop a couple of limbs in return. <laughs> right. He's got his sights set on a rematch. Right, exactly. So he's, he's doing the vengeance thing. Um, so Bolg, therefore, is... It's not looking not too good for Bolg, is it? Well, but here's here's here. Okay, let's see. Like you know. But he does if, acknowledge that Bolg will be in the film. So right. If I were Bolg's uh, guidance counselor, I think there are several career options still open for Bolg here. Um, so, what could Bolg possibly be doing? Um, well. This uh, actually, I might as well just introduce our riddle because this is what the riddle is about. So okay. So our riddle is. What will Bolg's role be in movie two? Um, 
and it, you might think, surely there is no book answer. Oh, we have found a book answer because, of course, <laughs> Bolg's, uh, Bolg's role in the book is he is the over general of the goblin armies. He is the he is the leader of the go- of the goblins who attack in the Battle of Five Armies. Um, that means, and and we know we hear in retrospect. Um, when the goblins attack, we are told briefly what the goblins have been up to ever since Thorin and Bilbo and Gandalf left the Misty Mountains and killed the Great Goblin. They have been mustering, and there have been these great goblin councils up at Mount Gundabad, and they have uh, gathered themselves together, and they were planning to attack anyway uh, in retribution. Then the news of the death of the dragon reaches them, and they you know, hightail it even faster to get to the Lonely Mountain. So that means uh, that the book answer for what is Bolg's role would be mustering the goblin armies. You know that he is that he is going to be the military leader of the goblin armies, and that he his job is going to be like up and getting people together and getting them set so that the army the goblin armies which will eventually attack at the Battle of Five Armies are being assembled and organized by Bolg. So that would be. The book answer. He's going to be military captain. Will be his primary job, uh, with an eye towards the Battle of Five Armies. Um, option. So that's 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 answer A. Answer B um, is that his role is limited to Dol Guldur. He is a lieutenant of the Necromancer. Um, we have reason. You know, we the one. So, you know, some of the very few pieces of data we have about him suggest that he is connected to Dol Guldur. So, um, with him being there at Dol, so. His role in the film, he's he's just going to be there. He's going to be in Markwood and Dogledor the whole time. You know, it, that could encompass a large number of things. He could just be doing, you know, putting in, you know, time in his nine to five as a torturer the whole time. You know, and then we just see him punching his time card uh, in the in the torture room of Dogledor. That might be all he does. We might see him do, you know, playing a role in preparing for or. Uh, in, uh, or being involved in uh, the conflict, um, we could see him trying to, you know, hunt down Radagast and his hedgehogs. I don't know, but his his um, his role would be completely Dol Guldur centered. He would just be one of Sauron's lieutenants there um, in Markwood. So that's option B. Option C is that he he's not a general. Uh, of the armies, and he doesn't stay in Dol Guldur, he's sent off on some other mission. So the necromancer sends him off uh, to do something or other. Um, maybe he's involved in the hunt for the ring. Maybe he's out to look for, you know, they've heard rumors that the ring was found, or Sauron figures the ring must have been found, because he's dragged the river and gotten out his metal detectors, and he's found nothing. So he figures somebody found it, and he's going to set uh, Bolg out to go look for it. So Bolg is going to be on a golem hunt. Who knows? Maybe he's going to go... Maybe Bolg is the one who goes to talk to Smaug. Maybe Bolg gets sent to Mordor uh, to, to, to oversee the transfer of Sauron's furniture. I don't know. But he's sent out to do something um, which is not command the armies. And option D is he has no really clearly defined role. Maybe we'll see him. Uh, maybe he'll be, you know, he'll have a kind of a, ca- a cameo role, but he doesn't play any clear, uh, he doesn't have any, his character doesn't have any clear function in the story that is unfolded in the second film. So those are the four answers. Uh, again, A, he's the commander-in-chief of the Orc armies. B, 
Uh, he is a, a captain. He is a lieutenant of the Necromancer in Dol Guldur, um, focused on Dol Guldur activities, whatever those are. C, he is sent away on some other mission by the Necromancer, so he's leading some kind of an away team to accomplish something. And D, he has no clearly defined role in the story. Hmm. Now, I will add, of course, many of you are wanting to know, but wait a second, what if he's undead? What if he is, in fact, the Zombork that we are all hoping and praying we will see in film two? If he is indeed a Zombork, it doesn't actually change anything. That is, like, whether he is dead or whether he's alive or undead, he can still fill any of these roles. Um, So, yes. yes. So that's a totally separate question, um, you know, and maybe that's a conundrum. <laughs> is Bolg undead? Um, but uh, but in any case, um, it doesn't necessarily affect this particular this particular question. Um. So one one uh, one possibility I want to consider because th- this could affect sort of which which direction I would go is do do we think. Azog's going to make it to the end of... Uh, do we think Azog's going to make it to the Battle of Five Armies all the way? Uh, or or even... Do we think he's even going to make... Do we think he's going to make it to to toward the end? Uh, obviously, he's going to be killed at some point. Um, and, and and so, Bolg leads the, leads the goblins at the Battle of Five Armies. Ultimately, he's killed by Bayorn, right? Uh, in the book, yes. Yes. So... I think we can presume that pro- that seems like too good a scene not to do. So probably Bayorn's going to kill a big bad orc guy. Do we think that that's going to be Azog's role? Azog will be leading the ba- the goblins at the Battle of Five Armies. He will be sort of the 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 the, the commander. He'll be the one killed by Bayorn toward the end, and and will be a, that will be a significant blow to them, causing them to 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 just you know fall apart and scatter. Or is there a possibility that he will die earlier in the battle or even before the battle, thus causing Bolg to declare to declare revenge on who you know on the dwarves or whatever, and then he will be the one leading the uh, orcs at the Battle of Five Armies. Okay, so I see that you are still hoping for, I know because you talked about this last year too, that you were hoping for a whole like extended cycle of vengeance thing. Yes, I love that idea. You know, the like you know, you killed my father but he killed my grandfather, I don't care, (laughs) you know Um, yes, yes that would certainly I think be in keeping with the the vengeance theme as it seems to me to be set up in the first film Um, but I don't know. Well, here's here's this might seem like I'm changing the subject, but I'm not. I'm trying to build up to that because my my preliminary question is where are we going to see Azog between now and then? That is this is one of the things which is uh, another big open question mark because it's something which is completely uh, which which has nothing to do with the book and that is the connection of uh, the connection of Azog to the battle or to to the company post Misty Mountains pre Battle of Five Armies. I mean, the book is goblin free between right. <laughs> between fr- out of the frying pan into the fire and the Battle of Five Armies. 
Um, right. If Azog is going to now, stick we have it, in the movie in the you know in the clips we have seen Tauriel you know threaten a, a, an orc. So right. we are going to see some orcs in movie two. Exactly, it's going to happen, um, and that's very clear. So if it's going to happen. Where is it going to happen? Yeah. And how is it going to happen? Well, one thing's for sure. It seems highly unlikely that they will be dogging the company's steps because that's just – that's going to get old after a while. Oh, look. It's Azog again. Right. 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 That Azog just keeps creeping in. Um, uh, yeah. That you know, I, mean, I, I suppose Azog could go to Dol Guldor, right? Hook up with his son – you know, well, the sit around, is, have a couple of beers, talk about next strategy. The thing is, is that the um, the, the the trek through Mirkwood. I mean, one can't uh, deny the fact that the trek through Mirkwood provides lots of opportunities for step dogging. You know, I mean, if he's going to be dogging their steps, he's got a golden opportunity there. Um, while they're going, while they're spending a lot of time going through Mirkwood, and it would be a way uh, for the film to sort of increase the, you know, the danger and the drama of that trip. But, I wonder if Azog will have anything to do with the spider attack. Well, see, that's what I was thinking. I mean, that is, you know, if we're going to get Legolas and Toriel coming in and rescuing them, um, you know, what. Perhaps you know Azog could be in charge of the goblins that they're fighting. Um, you know, I don't know. Hmm. Yeah, and, it, and it see, <clears throat> so obviously Azog is going to die at some point, and there is there's kind of a question too of who's going to kill him. If uh, it, like the way things have been set up in the films, it seems like Thorin ought to be be the one to finally finish him off. If we're going to go the uh, if we're going to stay true to kind of the his original story, then it would be dying that would kill him, right? Um, right. right. And, and then if he's fulfilling if he's playing Bolg's role at the Battle of Five Armies, it should be Bayorn that kills him. So <laughs> I have no like take a number of people. <laughs> I really have no idea who he's who is. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um. Well, I mean, I think – and then, of course, you have the, the fact that his story has been so personalized with Thorin's, it's really difficult. Uh, it's very difficult to imagine that the Battle of Five Armies is not going to feature the final confrontation between Azog and, and Thorin. Um, I actually would not expect Bjorn to play the crucial role there. I mean, are we going to get – a gigantic werebear attacking, you know, destroying ranks of orcs. Certainly, I mean, there's certainly there's a zero percent chance that Peter Jackson's not going to film that, right? But, um, but at the same time, that doesn't mean he has to take out the 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 king. I mean, and I would expect um, that's one way. I mean, you think about the way the different ways the different way that's going to go down. Thorin's charge in the book. Is very dramatic, but it's ultimately it doesn't accomplish anything. It rallies everybody, um, but then they overextend themselves and get surrounded. And he doesn't even have the satisfaction that Theoden has of taking out, you know, the leader of the Haradrim, you know, one of the sub generals of the army. Um, he 
you know, Thorin's charge in that sense, again, it doesn't accomplish anything. He doesn't take out anybody. Um, I can't imagine that happening in the film. I mean, I think his charge, um, I think he's going to meet up with Azog and probably take him out. I think he's still going to die, but I think that, um, Thorin, that is, but I think that he will have accomplished something in his death um, more than happens in the book. Um, but anyway, we are, we're now. Well, I, you know, I, well, I think this does go back to territory, but. Well, I think it does go back to Bulg a little bit because there's also a question of how big is Bulg's role going to be. You know, I, I yeah. it, from what I'm seeing so far, it looks like Jackson is going to stick with Azog as being the big, the big, focus of, you know, the big orc focus. We had thought about some point, like, you know, in Dave with the vengeance thing of, you know, shifting from uh, Azog to Bolg in, you know, and that Azog gets killed, but it doesn't appear to be happening that way. Elena, by the way, who's a new, who I believe is a new um, um, listener uh, here, which, uh, welcome Elena, you know, asked the question and and Dave actually responded a little bit, um, asking about orc culture. Well, you know, if, if Azog is indeed slain by Thorn, what is Bulk's motivation to even care? Well, I know in the book, in the book, he does care, right? In the book, it is a father-son thing, and it's a son seeking vengeance, correct? Jackson's that was kind of that's not so clear. You know, in my response to her, that was sort of my initial thought was like, but aren't we told in the book that he's seeking revenge? But then you're thinking like, boy, you sure waited a really long time to decide to get revenge <laughs> and it and it's and it's not really we're not told directly that we're sort of they emphasize the fact that it is azog's son but yes but well, actually i guess but we're not saying that like you know as soon as he heard that thorin was uh was alive or that you know that the dwarves are alive he's like all right well i gotta get revenge it's more you know it does sound like he's a bit of an opportunist that he that, that well, he, and is it even in the hobbit because there's a bet did the battle of azanel bazaar happen in the hobbit uh, well, it doesn't it doesn't call it by name, but it does say whose father you. Oh, okay. You know that that the okay. Gandalf okay. says so that it the does... are led. The goblins are led by Bolg, uh, the son of uh, you know whose father Azog you slew Dan in Moria. So you know that's got it, got that, it, got it, got it. Okay. that's there, but I agree it doesn't say like and he's burning for revenge. Um, it's it it's it is kind of implied. Um, you know that he has come and he's, has led this army against them, and and probably hasn't forgotten the fact, um, or w- would probably be interested to know the fact that the guy who killed his father is present uh, in the opposing army, uh, you know, against him in the field that day. But um, but it's certainly nothing like the personalized vendetta plot that we get with Azog in the films. I mean, okay. there's, yeah. there's none of that yeah. kind of emphasis in it, um, and. Um, so here's here's uh, here's here's an idea. So so I, so in the I book, it's really kind exactly. of Gandalf saying, "Oh, and by coincidence, and by coincidence, it happens well, to be this guy who it's not it's not know, coincidence. Who's the son? Uh, well, I think <laughs> I think part of it is to part of it is to is to to to, to emphasize the threat. Like this isn't just any you know rabble rousing goblin. Right. This is right. Azog's son. Right, yeah, right, you remember right. him, right? Right. <laughs> right. right. Right, exactly. This is the era of Azog. Um, yeah, so how about this for an idea? Um, Bolg is like the orc Faramir. Right, so just like we get Faramir with his daddy issues in the Fellowship <laughs> of the Ring, you know, we get Bolg like trying to prove himself in the eyes of his father and you know, like, you know, I, I, you know, that's why he went into torturing in the first place, because he wanted to show <laughs> his father how tough he was, and, like, you know, and that's why he really overcompensates oh, anyway, with that, frankly, over-the-top well, costume was, that he wears. 
Well, and he was completely embarrassed at the Battle of Azanol Bazaar. Exactly. Taken down by See, exactly. His father has never forgiven him for this. You know, right. Dwalin took him out in the Battle of Five Armies, and even though he either survived or or was brought back to life as Zombork, nevertheless, like he failed, and Azog probably blames him, and so he's got to prove himself to his dad, and so he's got like these major issues that you know that that fuel him throughout the film. What do you think? <laughs> <laughs> no, Dave is completely speechless by the suggestion. Uh, I, I don't know. Um, I think that would be pretty interesting, but I, I'm not entirely serious. Of course. Yeah, I wonder. I I'm, I I think I kind of agree with with Trish. I think sort of all the signals we're getting out of the film is that Bolg's role is really being minimized. That they that they really decide to just. You know that that like let's let's have one main orc. Let's have it be Azog and play up this whole history and story between him and Thorin, and and Bolg will be kind of like a sideshow. I I've heard you know I seem to remember hearing something a long time ago about like Bolg confronting Gandalf while at Dol Guldur. So maybe Bolg will be playing some role there uh, when Gandalf shows up to uh, like during the apparently the like. A handful of visits that Gandalf will be making during this film first to first to find Thrain and then to go back and attack and I mean I, I, he visits he visits Dol Guldur multiple times and apparently he has to do all of them in this one film so <laughs> maybe possibly they'll reverse things maybe Bolg will be killed and Azog will want even more revenge or right you know, I, maybe. See, the thing is, though, the thing that I keep coming back to, if they are going to do the father-son relationship, surely that's got to be relevant. I mean, I was like three quarters joking about the Faramir thing, mm -hmm. but but they've got to. Ha it's got to have some relevance, right? I mean, they can't just have like, okay, here's Azog who's out hunting them down, and here's Bolg in Dol Guldur. Um, you know, who's just like a, a, an orc in Dol Guldur. Oh, and by the way, fun trivia question. Bolg happens to be Azog's son. Like, they're not going to do that, <laughs> right? I mean, if they're related, they've got to be connected in the story in some way, haven't they? I mean, why else have them there if they're not going to be? I mean, Dave, when you and I had our first conversation about this like a year and a half ago almost, mm -hmm. Um, one of the things that we were saying was we were we were anticipating back before any of this stuff was released and we had very we had very very little actual data to go with and our first thought was surely they're going to condense the goblin stuff yep. right you know we've got Azog we've got Bolg we've got the Great Goblin we were even wondering whether or not um, Azog and the Great Goblin might be conflated yep um, yeah we, we didn't we, think they had enough room for all these important goblin right. characters right so exactly our rationale was. Yeah, it was it was exactly. We, we we can't expect audiences to connect with with like four different goblin characters. So so let's so maybe maybe we see them going back in that direction. Maybe the changes that have been happening um as the evolution of the Azog character both vis, both visually and apparently plot-wise in the story. And uh you know, maybe that has led to the to the to the removal or near removal of the bold character, um, and he is just going to be a, a minor henchman that will become a kind of trivia question and not uh, yeah and, that, and not have that's kind of what I'm wondering because you're right if he's on screen and he's like oh hey that's Azog's son Bolg you know right there that if they make right. a big deal out of that it's they have to be it, it makes no sense if they're not connected in the story so the alternative. Yes if they're not going to emphasize his character and invest all that time is to not make a big deal out of it. Just 
have right. have an orc show up on screen, fight Gandalf, get killed, and then you know in the credits it's like, oh that oh, that was Bolg. <laughs> that was Bolg, right? Yes, exactly. How far you've fallen. <laughs> <laughs> right. Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that that's a that's a possibility, and you know that would be that would be um, <clears throat> that would be option D in our riddle here. Um, yeah, it'd be disappointing. I, I honestly, this this is one of those things. This is one of those sort of things where the filmmakers do something like this, where I, I'm, it leaves me wondering why. Like, if you're going to do all of this work, why not stick with something closer to the book and leave Azog dead in the past and build up Bold's character? Like, why are they, why are they investing all this effort to build up an entirely new character that needs an entirely new storyline made up, and then finding like. Oh, this character that actually has a sensible role in the story. We don't have room right. for him now. Let's minimize him. It's like, know, why not right. just use Bolg? Especially <laughs> since the character that they're that they would be minimizing filled almost precisely the role. I mean, it yeah. was there. exactly. It's true. They want a vengeance-seeking goblin chieftain who will lead the armies. They had one. It's he was right. there. And his reason and his his motivation for revenge would be it would be a little more visceral. It's like you killed my father, not you cut off my hand. Yeah. You, you lost right. your hand during a war and that's what you want revenge for. Come on. Goblins are losing limbs in wars constantly. <laughs> <laughs> I would think that'd be a badge what a of honor. <laughs> right. Right. Hey, you really did me a favor, Thorne. Nobody respected me until you cut my hand off. <laughs> that's right. That's right. And I got, and I got this, I got this pitchfork. Instead. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got this fancy yeah. fork. Uh, um... <laughs> oh, no, you're right. It is odd. I mean, it's like, what did they get down too far down the road and decide there was a point of no return and they stuck with that? Like, I mean, I, you're right. It is that, true. That, that's kind of it gives me that impression that, that decisions that, it, that it's been an evolving character and that they're just reached a point where maybe even they had this somebody, somebody in the room was like, you know, guys. Why didn't we just do all this with Bulk? Well, it's too late. It's too late. Now, Don't worry. Yeah. Twenty years yeah. from now, when we do our George Lucas style re-release, we'll just rename this character Bulk, and it'll be fine. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I I could see this. I could see this. I'm still hope. I'm 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 cheering against it. Um, I would like to see Bulk have a good role. Um, I would. Well, I, mean, I have to admit that the news about Azog being a major presence in all three films I find slightly disappointing. I was kind of hoping he would die uh, sooner, mostly because, again, I was hoping for to see the emergence of Bolg. Right. Yeah, um, me too. Not to, you know, not to mention, I find his CGI off-putting every time he comes on screen. Yeah. I do too. I do too. Uh, I know. Trish does also. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um. So. I mean, by the way, the fact that they did it last minute, Azog last minute now explains a lot about how why it's so off-putting. I mean, talk about a hastily assembled. And, his, and his scenes arc. don't just don't quite seem they don't have the polish of other scenes. Uh, I I I think Corey, your your point about when they announced the split into three films and and your sort of thing about well, <laughs> they won't be doing any more. There goes any chance of of serious editing. Like everything that gets filmed right. will go into it now. Um, <laughs> and and uh, some of the scenes have that flavor, and a lot of the scenes that have that flavor are the Azog scenes, which it turns out we've learned were done at the last minute. Right, and you know, and 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 I wonder actually also as a sort of side point, 
um, will this will they change the CG depiction of Azog? Mm-hmm. Um, that seems like, well, no, they couldn't now. Well, they did between the Fellowship of the Ring and the later movies. Mm-hmm. I mean, think of the difference in the depiction of Gollum, the glimpse of Gollum that we got in the beginning of the Fellowship of the Ring and Gollum as we see him in the Two Towers. Mm-hmm. Think about the depiction of Gimli. I mean, you look at that scene, one of the earliest scenes that was shot, um, the scene with Aragorn and Haldir arguing at the borders of, of um, Lothlorien. Gimli's whole costume and and makeup is is very different from how Gimli is in the whole rest of the film. Um, I mean, everybody looks different there. And, but so like they evolved, you know, and they didn't necessarily stay consistent with what happened in the first film. Um, they didn't do major changes to major characters. But I wonder if they might do some kind of subtle retweaking of uh, of the CGI depiction of of Azog. I hope so. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway, so um, you'll hear me. You'll hear me groaning at the at the other end of the row. You so know, we're, if, you, so if they haven't changed. Them, we're like, running oh. up against our our hard stop, so we should make our predictions. Yes. Um, yes. <laughs> I'm going. Which actually, with, has gotten a little bit less hard on my on my part. But, I'm willing to. Uh, okay. Anyway, okay. I, I'm willing to step up and predict. I'm going with B. His his activity You're with B. Golder. Oh, here I thought you were pointing at D all along. Uh, yeah, but I actually think I think he'll be at Dol. So. Okay, maybe I maybe I should. And we're ex- talking about movie two now. I mean, it could he could expand his role. Let me in movie explain. Three, movie let me two. explain my let me explain my sort of what I expect, and then you can tell me if I'm interpreting the answers wrong. Okay. I, I don't think he's not going to appear on screen. I think he'll be appear on screen. I think he will appear on screen at Dol Goldor, based on sort of things we've heard in the past about him maybe fighting with Gandalf at some point. I think if he's at Dol Guldur and they film scenes with him, they they'll use them. So maybe he'll even be in the the Battle of Dol Guldur, that kind of stuff. Um, so I think he'll be at Dol Guldur. Now the question is, if they don't explicitly say, "Hey, that's Bolg Azog's son right there," you know, at Dol Guldur, if it, if he just is there and he's fighting and just sort of shows up on screen but doesn't really do anything significant other than be there, is that B or is that D? That's D. Okay. So you think you that's think. D. For 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 B, it needs to be he's at Dol Guldur, but they're also making a deal out of the fact that he is Bolg Azog's son. Yeah, or at least that he and has. He's, a and he's got a job. Yeah, yeah. and he's yeah he's, he's got, got a, a job there. Well, what if he's, he's not just like a like a red shirt? He has or... minions. What if he's what if he's yeah. At, yeah okay. What if he's at Dol Guldur and he's like he's running the jail and and Gandalf has to defeat him to get through to Thrine and it turns out he was That's like B. Thrine's That's B. torturer but but they're not going out of their way to make a make uh, they're not making anything out of the fact that he's um Azog's son or anything like that. Is that B? Yeah, no, that's that would still be B. Okay. I don't think the fact that he's related to Azog must be made a big deal then, of in order for Yeah, we didn't it to be a, B or we C. didn't really include that in the rip- I vote oh, yeah. Yeah. I vote it's B. There has to there has to be some orc that uh has been tormenting Thrain and that uh, Gandalf has to get through to fight him. Might as well be Bolg. <laughs> Especially since this has already been stated to be his, or hinted at right. as his role, so I'm yeah. going with that. I just yeah. think I think that he won't be expanded upon beyond that. Corey, what do you think? I think <laughs> says Trish, hanging back. Well, I have to admit I am tempted by A because I still don't think that Azog's position 
yes, he is like a, the you know the major visual bad guy captain, but are they going to? But he's also I mean he, we first meet Azog when he is you know the king and leader of the goblin armies at Moria. Um, the my my question in film one leads me to ask the question: What exactly is Azog's career right now? You know, I mean, like, what is he doing? He seems to he doesn't seem to be a king anymore. He doesn't hasn't seem to have armies to lead. Um, even when um, the great goblin alludes to him, he doesn't seem to allude to him as like his over king or something, but rather as like a a sort of a fringe element, like a, a, a free agent that scares him, basically. Um, and that certainly seems to be how Azog operates during the course of the first film. Could I imagine Azog, you know, coming back with his warg riders and meeting up with his army that's just been waiting for him to come back from his little solo adventure? Or not solo adventure, but small group adventure? Possibly, yes. I, I guess I can imagine that. But I'm kind of tempted to see Bolg in that role, um, and then possibly have some um, some fun kind of father-son things in leader. If Bolg is back home, mustering the goblin armies and preparing to lead the goblin armies, and Azog is off, you know, entertaining himself uh, with his personal vendetta against Thorin, and then. Azog returns at the last minute and says, okay, time for me to take back over the armies. And Bolg's like, okay, yeah, you're going to run my army now. This has been my army. Where have you been, dad? You know, off, like, you know, pursuing your own hobbies while I've been here minding the shop. Um, you know, basically, I could see some leadership tensions among the goblins, which might be kind of cool. Um, especially if leadership tensions are also thematically what's going on with Bilbo and Thorin at this time. Um, so that could be that could be kind of a fun thing. Um, so this is what tempts me to do A, um, because I think that that would be that would be an interesting kind of story. wishful thinking. But he, well, we're now we now know that he went to that much detail. He's not going to go with A. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. In the end, I'm not doing that. But this is what I was thinking. I, I so I'm not going to go with A. But that's what that's what leads me to to say A, and why I would be happy to see A uh, if something like that happened. Um, I am gonna go with B. Um, I'm, let me oh, explain man. why. Oh man! Well, that's obviously wrong. I know. <laughs> I know. Dave, no, I just my... figured maybe he's going with the you know because everybody else is saying B now too. So we're going with See, the people Brianna. Who actually... Yeah. What are you guessing, Brianna? My... <laughs> my, my... My heart sank too when you said B, Dave. I was like, "Oh man, if David <laughs> yeah, that's right." It's a really bad. If we sign. both pick that, well, we're screwed. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. I hate to tell you this, but I'm going B too. Oh man, <laughs> it's awful. But anyway, so anyway, so here's, we, should, we should let the new listeners know that if you agree with us, the chances are you are not going to get a lot of right answers. Yeah, my last exactly. Year's our our record of our actual predictive record was quite bad. We we did excellent yes. analysis, but not so good at actually predicting what was going to happen. Um, anyway, okay. So, but but here here's what I would say about option C. I think that option C is a very viable option because, um, as I said, I think that there's going to need to be. There, there's still. I I still think the question of Sauron and the ring has to come up. If we have the ring and indications, open indications that this is the ring of power, as we already have with, you know, Bilbo operating in ring vision world, you know, when he puts on the ring, 
you know, viewers of the Lord of the Rings films have, you know, have been given very strong reminders that Bilbo's ring is the ring of power. If we get the ring of power over here and Sauron over there and no indication that Sauron is even vaguely interested in looking for the ring or finding out what happened to it, um, then I, I, that, that's, I think, asking the audience too much. I think it's, I think it's got to be addressed and I'll be really interested to see how he does it. Um, therefore, one role which, if he's going to send anybody out to look for the ring, well, he's got to send somebody. Who could it be? Um, and I can only see two options, the ring wraiths or Bolg. Basically, you know, either the ring wraiths or a goblin. And if a goblin, why not Bolg? Um, so I could imagine if we're going to get any kind of a, you know, searching for the rings element of the necromancer story i could see bolg involved with that <laughs> so bolg will be manning the metal detector <laughs> exactly <laughs> exactly bolg is we'll the bolg. bolg is the crazy old the... man wandering out by the beach see... or i can see him with a hard hat on and a skid steer right yeah or, well, and, uh, and or, he's like know. dragging the river you know <laughs> like we can see him manning the crews of orcs with fishing nets you know <laughs> you know we cut back to Bolg, and here's here's Bolg like adjusting his scuba gear as he goes diving <laughs> in the Great River again. We get a juxtaposition. We see we see Azog riding wargs, battling, chasing, trying to get revenge, and Bolg yeah. is Bolg is running the 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 search and rescue crew, trolling exactly, the river. Yeah. You know, I think Peter Jackson misses out not listening to this episode because we come up with some really creative this is, stuff. This yeah. material is gold. Yeah, it's gold. kind of. It would be kind of like, you know, maybe we could even have him do, you know, like the people who are trying to find the wreck of the Titanic. You know, that could, that could be like, you know, Bolg uh, running a team of scientific experts who are mapping the bottom of the Great River <laughs> and trying to calculate, based on archaeological findings, where was the attack on Isildur exactly. And, yeah, you know, this could be a real, he, he, he could be the head of a real intellectual think tank there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or, or he could be sent to Smaug. As I said, if we get connections with Smaug, he could be sent to Smaug because somebody's got to do it, and it can't be a ringwraith. I mean, we never see ringwraiths talk, you know, so we can't have yeah. like large speaking roles by the ringwraiths. So if he's going to send an emissary, it's got to be somebody. And if it's not the thrush, which is Yana's idea, uh, <laughs> that it's that it's uh, that which is just. I think the most delightful idea I've heard. Um, uh, but anyway, it's got to be somebody. Or maybe another thing that we haven't brought in. Is... Yeah, Brianna, I was just going to say the Witch King did talk in 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 Return of the King, right? But a well, it's kind of a special some, some little bit. That was a special circumstance. It's like Huon talking right before he died, right? I mean, it's, it's sort of... <laughs> I mean, I, I, I don't think. Yeah, it's hard to see like sustained dialogue with that. With that, I mean, yes, he, he does utter words. It's not that they can't. Oh, and that's utter right. Words. Yeah, when they're in the Shire, they are also, you know, in the movie, they're saying Shire. Right, and... exactly. But that's exactly the scene I'm thinking of. Like, you know, right. the ringwraiths are like Shire. It's like, <laughs> Ooh, very seriously. nice. Okay. Thank you, thank you. Okay, can you imagine dialogue in that? Like five, you know, like a like a three minute dialogue with somebody in that voice? It would be too comical, too quick. Yeah, what would, what would he say to Smug when he knocks on the door? What would be the two words he'd say? Right. Right. Exactly. You know. I, <laughs> 
No, it would take it would take a it would take somebody it would take some some fast talking to to talk Smaug around. Um, yeah, that's true. But the other I was going to say the other subplot that we haven't mentioned um, there is with Saruman and you know any possible connection unfolding between Saruman. Uh, and, and I the, will say some of the listeners have been actually mentioning him in, in the yes. in the chat room in the question and answer. Yeah, they've wondered yeah. how he fits in. Yeah, that's true. It, because I mean that's a that's a that's that's certainly a question. You know, I mean that's certainly something. Now, the indications that we've been getting, like from Christopher Lee and elsewhere, is just that Saruman is not going to play a major role. Um, so that it seems unlikely that we're going to get too much development of the corruption of Saruman subplot. Um, because uh, there's just not going to be there's just not going to be screen time for it. That it seems that Saruman just just isn't going to be around enough. Um, to uh, to justify that, but um, but that is another again thinking of uh, one of the things that I'm trying to think of here is like what are some examples of what B could be? You know, there are a bunch of side missions that the necromancer could conceivably need somebody to fill, searching for the ring, talking to uh, uh, talking to uh, the dragon, talking to Saruman. What about um, um uh, sort of riding around in Mirkwood, harassing the Wood Elves, and then getting captured by Toriel and tortured? That also is something. Though again, I don't know what uh, um Azog is going to be doing if that's Bolg, um, but. Uh, um anyway so um i who knows yeah you know like it's it's uh it's um it, it's possible that that could be bulg so now anyway. did you have you defended d yet did you defend d yet well, we basically were kind of doing that defense the defense of d is that whole like d yeah. emphasis of bulg's role in the story, mm-hmm. and that he's turning yeah. from being a, a major villain to sort of over time transforming into a into a, a <laughs> Into um, an orc with a name. <laughs> right. Right. An orc with a name <laughs> that people will recognize. That's right. Um, it's like, like yeah. Gothmog. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, right. That's true. That's true. Um, yeah. Oh, I don't know. I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm going to go with B with you guys, because I, I think, you know, I think there is actually a niche for him in this, you know, dungeon master thing, you know, role. And I think it's one that could, you know, it, it may not take up a lot of screen time, but I do think it, you know, we will, we will end up connecting him with the dungeons of Doggledore. Yeah. 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 No, I think that that's, and, and especially since the thing that really leads me most towards B is that I think that, um, there's got to be somebody at all of the points before there needed to be a more corporeal presence you know that is somebody to actually be there the witch king is theoretically leading the armies but peter jackson gave us you know like the deformed white orc you know who was called gothmog right yes right 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 yeah yeah yeah, right, a, who's, who's a figure of terror. Yeah, because exactly. I mean, Bolg has pretty much been built up as this really scary dude, way right. more so, than Azog. Yeah. So he gave us a he gave us somebody you know he gave us um, 
you know, uh, we we get orcs in, of course, you know, as as happens in the book, we get you know Shagrat, um, f uh, in in the Tower of Kirathungol. You know, we get. So I mean, I think that imagining Dol Guldur as it's set up, yes, we have Ringwraith there. You know, the the Ringwraith attacked uh, Radagast. Yes, we have Sauron himself. Are they going to be the ones, the primary visual center of the confrontation? Um, it's hard to see that. I mean, I think that we need a character there um, to be like the visible, um, the visible captain at Dol Guldur, whose death could signify the end of the Battle of Dol Guldur. You know, they kill him and it seems like it's over, but then they discover the rest of them have fled. Um, so, you know, it's something to bring some closure to that battle as well. Uh, so, so that's that's. That seems to me the the most likely thing, the most likely role for uh, for Bold to play. Yeah, yeah. But I'm, I'm looking um, for. I mean, I look. I was looking forward to seeing him in the first movie. I was disappointed when it became obvious we yes. weren't going to see him. I'm looking forward to seeing him in this movie. <laughs> I yep. hope they don't cut him back. Yeah, uh, no. I hope he does still have a role. I, I don't know. We'll I, I'd rather he, but I'd rather he be cut back than used in a weird way. Like I, I sort of when when I look and I see sort of what is his potential for a good story here, um, uh, versus sort of the likelihood that they would use him in that way. I don't see a whole lot. So I'm sort of at this point. I'm like, you know what? There's so much stuff left to do in these last two films. They're going to be so crowded. I would I would rather not get like just significant amounts of bold screen time that ends up being kind of just sort of wasted and kind of not not, you know, has no purpose and isn't really driving story time. If that meant that we get less awesome character moments of Bilbo and Thorin or um, right. or necromancer material or or you know if it means that they end up compressing the the like I would rather have I'd rather they cut Bolg out entirely if it means that I get every minute of the Bilbo Smaug exchange like there's some of those iconic right. scenes that are that are if they do them completely will be quite lengthy kind of like the the riddles uh, riddles in the dark scene it's like I'd rather have that than get some half-baked Bolg weirdness right right <laughs> no I agree <laughs> That's a good quote. <laughs> that may that may be the title for this episode. Half baked bold weirdness. Bold weirdness. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's a pretty good title actually. I like that. I like that. <laughs> All right. Hey, um, um, before we go, are we are we about to go? I wanted yes, we're to, about to go. Um, I wanted to let folks know that they are invited potentially. Um, we're not absolutely confirming it yet, but this time next week we may be having what we really can't call a bachelor party, but it is a pre-nuptial <laughs> Tolkien chat party for Dave. That's right. Um, right. So the three of us plan to get together to talk about uh, relationships in uh, Tolkien, um, and, and Dave brought up especially the relationships that are in The Hobbit. Yes, exactly. Uh, you know, like right. yeah. Toriel and Feely, or Keeley. We'll particularly <laughs> emphasize... <laughs> All of the romantic uh, yeah. relationships in yes. The Hobbit. Yeah. Significant amounts of love in The so, Hobbit. Um, so I've been making a list of, you know, I'm sending it to the guys of the ones we should talk about and the ones we probably shouldn't talk about to celebrate <laughs> Dave's wedding, yeah, yeah. And, which we probably won't bring up, right? Um, so anyway, so stay tuned because we'll do the same thing as we do with Riddles of the Dark. We'll, we'll give you guys hopefully some advance warning when we're going to uh, come to the next 
in the way that only the Tolkien people can for his wedding. That's right. Yes, the his 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 uh, his Tolkien geek uh, uh, bachelor party. So that's right. Send off. Yes. Oh, and Sharon asked, Dave. I believe you have actually, haven't you? Kind of uh, polished the passage. Yeah. That you're going to be uh, using be, at the wedding, right? Yeah, I'll be happy to share it. Uh, um, I'd like to share it. Again. I think it turned out really good. Yeah, I'm really satisfied with it, actually. Good. Yeah. Good, yeah. 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 Yep. I haven't. Actually, what I, so, so, the, those... the main thing we got to do, main thing I need to do, is I need to read through it out loud once, um, at roughly the pace good. I would expect Trish to read it at, to make sure it doesn't last 15 minutes. <laughs> well, maybe we should have me do a little dress rehearsal with you then. Yeah. <laughs> at, on on air. Um, <laughs> you could do that. Uh, hey, and you know what? You know the other thing that I'm doing that's going to be pretty cool. I'm excited uh, if I can pull it off in time is. I had Laura Suku made a really, really nice high-resolution oh, yeah. vector graphic of um, Finn Golfin's heraldry. So I'm going to try to get yeah, like oh, a giant gorgeous. poster of that or a banner or something, and I'm going to put that up too. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Oh, man. You know, if your relationship my... survives the wedding, you'll be fine. I, yeah, I know. Be... <laughs> Dave, my sister... My sister who's met Dave, my sister Barbara in Los Angeles, yeah. I was talking to her on the phone the other day and I was talking about the wedding and I said, oh, you're going to love this. I said, Dave, she was in stitches because I said, Dave's putting, you know, the like the locations on the tables will be like locations from Tolkien and Game of Thrones. And she's like, oh, my God. She says, she says his fiance must be really special. <laughs> yep, she sure is. That's true. That's true. Well, uh, good. Okay, yeah. So we'll, we'll plan. So we're thinking probably next Tuesday, probably right? Time we're next thinking. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Next so a, a, a kind of uh, a kind of uh, you know in the week in between, um, and we may you know we may end up having to reschedule that. But tentatively, that's what we're thinking of for mm -hmm. now, and we will make right. an official announcement closer right. to it, but probably more than five minutes before it, uh, <clears throat> in order to. Um, and, and, and Corey won't ask that. you for all of your, you know, all of your, <laughs> yes. uh, all of your personal information. <laughs> uh, yes, we'll definitely. I will try to make sure that that doesn't happen again. We don't need to. Uh, We've already <laughs> stolen it. <laughs> By the way, I wanted to acknowledge that we had. I, I think the maximum today was like forty-seven attendees. Yeah, I saw forty-nine at one point one. actually. So yeah, no. Okay, a, so that's a that's today. been a really good record. In fact, I think isn't that that's probably more than the live attendees at some of the courses. <laughs> Yeah, no, it's been it's been good. It's been good. So no. Um, yeah, so and uh, one last, uh, yeah, one last small plug that I will make. Actually, speaking of uh, of uh, of Laura Suku, um, um, I, I, a little plug for the cookbook of my friend Heath Dill, who has made his Tolkien themed uh, cookbook, oh, yeah. which is now officially being published by Laura Suku and the Laura's Publishing. Uh, and that uh, the uh, the paper version of that book should be released soon, uh, and it looks really beautiful. Um, I've seen proofs of it and everything; it looks really great. So um, I would, Excellent. I just want to kind of plug that. Um, he's accepting pre-orders. If you go, uh, his new blog page is deliciousfoods.com. D i l d i l l i c i o u s f o o d s dot com. <laughs> Deliciousfoods.com is his new blog. Um, you can see there recipes he has, for instance, uh, his uh, his uh, raspberries and apple tart um, uh, 
with Gandalf's rune. By the unexpected party with Gandalf's rune on it, um, which looks really <laughs> cool. Uh, I think the title, the the cover of his book is that apple tart with the with Gandalf's rune on it, which looks I think it looks really cool. Um, anyway, so um, Holy so crap, his book this looks is so good. Yeah, his book. So is he, you know, together. he he's may end up becoming our VIP draw for Miss Moot too, huh? Yeah, you know, yeah, <laughs> it could happen. happen. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, absolutely. So anyway, so just I just would definitely want to uh, to 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 plug that. Um, check out his site, uh, pre-order his book, and it should be really cool. We'll put a so, we'll put a link. By the way, I have to say I have to say this is this is this this is totally Heath Dill. I just love this. So I I posted on. Facebook, the fact that I'm getting a new horse, it's a Palomino, and I'm naming him Glorfindel, Glory for short. So Glorfindel after Glorfindel the Elf, and then Glory for those of you, for those people who around me who don't know what a Tolkien geek I am, I don't have to explain it, so it's Glory. And Paul Hahn, who's one of my buddies from St. Louis, who's also Tolkien, he came back, he says, you're not, you're naming your horse after an elf and not after his horse Asphaloth? And Heath came back and said, well, Glory is probably a better nickname than Assie. <laughs> 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 That's Heath Dill, folks. <laughs> well pointed out. Uh, yes, well that's what I said. Out. I said nail on the head as usual, Heath. So, I mean, if you're anything yep. like me, that if I didn't know anything about Heath, that alone would make me buy his. So. <laughs> yep. Yep. Yeah. Well, anyway, I just I and definitely. On that yeah. note, on that note, yes, exactly. So, uh, so I, I did want to give that plug, and um, we will have uh, more forthcoming uh, myth. Oh, I should also plug the uh, MythGuard classes. Um, oh, yeah, enrollment definitely. is open now for summer classes. I am teaching a class called Beyond Middle Earth. I'm team teaching it with Tom Shippey, uh, the great Tolkien scholar. Um, he is going to be teaching a three a three week exam. Basically, we're looking at Tolkien's work other than his Middle-earth stories. Um, so that is, I'm looking at his uh, fiction and poetry. That was not Middle-earth related, so we're looking at his his children's works, like Rover Random and the Father Christmas Letters. We're going to be looking at his short stories, like Farmer Giles of Ham and Smith of Wooten Major and Leaf by Niggle. We're going to be looking at uh, his uh, his poetry, you know, all, all, all the poetry that he wrote, um, which was not incorporated into the uh, into the Middle Earth world. Uh, some really fascinating stuff there, I think. Um, and then we're also going to be looking at, um, and then uh, Tom uh, Shippey is going to be doing three weeks on Tolkien's scholarly work and the intersection between uh, his uh, his philological work uh, and his. Uh, poetry. So we're going to be looking. He's going to be looking at his work on Beowulf, his translations of Sir Orfeo and Pearl and Sir Gawain and the Green Knight, and some of the uh, some of the works, some of the poetry uh, and stories that directly emerge from that, including, for instance, a work of Tolkien that almost nobody reads, almost nobody has read, the Lay of Eotru and Itrun, the Breton Lay that Tolkien wrote. Um, which uh, is uh, connected to Sir Orfeo. So um, anyway, so we're going to be looking at all that stuff. So it'll be basically like the Tolkien you you never knew, like all of the, the works of Tolkien that are really hard to find that you might not even have known existed and sort of trying to kind of fill in the big picture of Tolkien's, uh, you know, artistic and intellectual, uh, 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 you know, creative interests and how these things we can see manifesting themselves and how we can kind of look at this stuff and that can help to inform us as we go and read his uh, his. Um, his Middle Earth stuff. So uh, anyway, so that's um, that's where 
that that's the the class that we're doing this coming summer in uh, Mythgard, and the class begins in the middle of May. So there's still several more weeks um, <clears throat> to enroll for that. But we definitely want to encourage you to go to Mythgard.org uh, to be able to uh, enroll for classes. All right. All right. Well, why don't so, you very send good. us? Thanks, everybody, for joining us. So I will sign off yes. uh, as usual and say thanks for listening and Godspeed.